From the studios of Teeing It Up, Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents. Danny Flecka in his weekly spot. Good morning. Danny, how are we? I'm good, I'm good. Let's start here and go from there, which is that you look at this NFL slate for this weekend. And the big game, potentially for playoff seeding, I know we're in week six, but if you want to look down the line, playoff seeding involving Chiefs, uh, Chiefs Bills um, on Monday at 5 o'clock on Fox, Amazon Prime, and the NFL Network. Um, what is interesting to me about this game specifically is that they go out and sign Le'Veon Bell. And for me, if, if I was going to go Kansas City, Buffalo, and the other team mentioned was Miami, and it, it, the Chiefs made the most sense because they can win, and apparently he wants to win now. Buffalo, I thought, made the most sense in terms of an offense that could balance out both ways, both catching and throwing. In Kansas City, he's now got to get in front of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And he won't be able to play this week because of COVID protocols. But what is interesting to me about this long term for Kansas City is that I don't think he's going to get the usage numbers that he was disgruntled about in New York. So I'm a little confused about why he's signed with the, with the Chiefs and why he's looking to take that next step in his career in that direction. What's your thoughts on both the Jets letting him go and then um, him ultimately deciding to go to the Chiefs? Yeah, so starting off with, like, the Jets, like, that was just a marriage that was never going to work. You know, he was signed by a GM that was desperate to bring in talent. Um, Gates never wanted him, didn't want him on that contract, didn't want him, I don't think, period. I think he was comfortable using different types of you know, running back that he could find and never really wanted Bell. But the GM went out and signed him anyway. GM gets fired after he gets signed, and the Jets are stuck with Le'Veon Bell in this contract. You know, between then and, you know, between then and now, you know, you've had a new GM come in. Uh, you've had, you know, obviously all the other stuff that's happened with the Jets, both on the field, off the field. Uh, the negativity around that team, whether it's, you know, Bell, C.J. Mosley last year, you know, so the handling of Sam Darnold, the mono, everything else like that. It was just a, an unmitigated disaster to begin with. And I think Bell was never happy there. You could definitely see it in the way that he used social media to talk about the way he was being used, the way that he was being treated, his relationship with his coach, everything else like that. I think that the signing with Kansas City not only is, you know, a benefit for Kansas City, right? You, you've got another weapon. What Bell has left in the tank, who knows? He's betting on himself, hoping that he's able to provide that, that type of skill set that he's done in the past. I think this is a lot of a rehab type of situation, too. You know, we've seen it a lot with players that go to New England, a structured organization, a structured coaching staff, a structured system, and Kansas City is, is built like that as well. You know, you have a veteran coach who knows how to deal with these types of personalities. 
gifted offensively, you know, with the type of play calling they have, gifted quarterback. He doesn't have to be the guy there either. Uh, he might even fade off a little bit depending on, you know, his, his production too. He might just be another one of the guys that's able to help that team win. But I think when I saw the signing come through and the type of contract he got, um, it's just probably, you know, he wouldn't have signed an incentive-laden contract if he didn't think he was going to be used to hit those incentives. And I also think it's going to help him, you know, try to rehab his image a little bit. That way next year he can go out and get one last contract and cash in. Um, there's there's a couple really interesting games on this week six slate that are matchups of teams with great records but may not be very good. I, I think most people agree that Kansas City and Buffalo are, are two legitimate teams. But then you look at some of these other matchups and it's like, wait a second. The Bears face the Panthers on Sunday. The Bears are 4-1. and one. It's the Chicago team for real. It's hard for me to tell, honestly, right? I watched them again. The Giants, that was when Mitch was there in the quarterback. Wasn't really too impressed with what they had going on. Uh, thought that was a very winnable game for the Giants. Um, then I watched them against the Colts. I thought that they would have a spark against the Colts. They were flat. They didn't really do much. The game against Tampa Bay, you know, that game was really, that game was a, a tough game to evaluate, I think, either team because there were a lot of penalties. The game flipped uh, right before the end of half when the Bears scored, got a big interception, fumble, whatever it was, and then they scored again to kind of flip that game a little bit. I think the Bears are in a situation where they don't have that elite defense anymore. Their offense is still trying to figure it out. They've been very fortunate to be 4-1. I think the Bears need to come out with some you know, games where they are in control. And I think Carolina presents that to them in, in the sense that their defense aren't world beaters. They should be able to get some things done offensively. However, we've seen Carolina play pretty tough this year. And they're pretty consistent. If you have a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, that's not going to, you know, lose a game for the Panthers. Um, so I think that's going to be a, a closer game that people think Carolina is favored. I think Chicago needs to play loose this week. They need to be creative. They need to let, you know, Nick Foles do what, what benefits him. They should change the offense a little bit to, to uh, allow them to do that. But I think it's going to be a close game. And it, it, I'm a Bears fan. I'm hoping that I see a little bit more creativity out of that team, especially on the offensive side. Browns 4-1 versus Pittsburgh 4-0. Are the Browns for real? They have to say yes, right? Like, they beat some good teams in some, in some situations. Um, you know, they beat Dallas. They were killing them from beginning to end. They beat to me, this game comes down to you know, who they're playing in Pittsburgh. This is a team that they have had very, very little success against, especially in Pittsburgh. I get it, there's no crowd or anything else like that, but there's still like that mental factor that no one on this Brown staff or team has beaten Pittsburgh um, in Pittsburgh. So the opportunity for the Cleveland Browns is definitely there. I'm fading them this week just because. You know, I need to see them go into Baltimore. I need to see them go into Pittsburgh and win games and win them convincingly. You know, I, I get a win to win, but I want to see 
Athena's going to try to contend, beat their rivals in a consistent fashion because this game is, is really important, right? They're, the Ravens are 4 and 1, the Steelers are 4 and 0, oh, the Browns are 4 and 1. That division has got a, a bottleneck at the top. And this game right here is going to really determine how that's going to shape out for the rest of the year. So I'm fading the Browns, though. I don't trust them in this situation. I need to see them be able to do that. You have you know, an offense that likes to run the ball, and you have a defense that's good at, at, at stopping the run. My concern with Cleveland is if they do get in situations where they're behind and they have to pass the ball and they can't rely on that run game, how will Baker Mayfield hold up against that pass rush? So uh, I do anticipate those types of scenarios playing out as well, just given the way that, you know, these games go. You know, I don't think they're going to be able to run it down their throat. So um, I think Pittsburgh's in a good spot here, but, you know, anything can happen. Danny Flecker with us and Teeing It Up presents. All right, finally in the what to make of all the situation, we have Green Bay 4-0 versus Tampa 3-2. and I think most people would agree that this Packer team has refueled themselves and um, gotten the better pieces in place, even with all the injuries that they've faced uh, in, in some of the playmaking positions early on this year to be 4-0. Tampa 3-2 and as Tom Brady gets acclimated to a new system and a new team and a new set of teammates, Sans Gronk. Um, are you confident that this Packer team has the longevity for 16 games? And do you think the Bucks will get it together um, as it goes on with Tom Brady? So I think that what I've seen from the Packers has been, been good, right? You have the, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. As long as you have Aaron Rodgers there, you always have a shot in any game, regardless of the situation. I think the Packers haven't played anybody tough yet. Going to be their first tough game on the road as well. Um, I, I think what I'm looking for is how does Green Bay utilize their run game against the Tampa Bay defense? Uh, their defense has been pretty good against the run. They did lose to Vita Vea last week to a season ending injury. He's an important piece for them in that type of team. Um, you know, can the Tampa defense be confusing enough for Aaron? be able to pick them apart because I do think there are some vulnerabilities on the Tampa defense, uh, you know, on the outside. We saw the Chargers take advantage of that with a rookie quarterback. I can only imagine what Green Bay is going to be able to do with, with Aaron Rodgers uh, behind center. You have Devontae Adams coming back. They look a little bit more balanced, you know, utilizing the tight end a little bit more. They have great running backs in the passing game as well with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. I think this comes down to you know, how did that defensive line of the, the Bucks hold up and then on the other side, too. How did the defensive line of Green Bay hold up against Tampa Bay? I think the thing that, that makes me not want to take Tampa Bay in this situation is their offensive line and the mistakes they make in critical situations. You know, against Chicago and against Santa, the Chargers, they had a lot of penalties. Yes, they were able to come back against the Chargers and, and win that game, but I wasn't too, too thrilled with what I saw from like their offensive line. I think that they're still learning to deal with the, you know, the system that they have, a new quarterback. You know, Tom's not going to get out of the pocket and extend plays, so they have to hold up in pass protection. So 
I think the advantage this week does go to Green Bay, just given that you have a quarterback we know who we know can get outside the pocket, create plays, and they seem to be healthy right now, and, and, and they have a lot of good skill players that people don't talk about. Danny Fleckle with us and teeing it up. On the flip side, there's a bunch of big lines this week. New England's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over the Broncos. The Eagles, uh, sorry, the Ravens are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over the Eagles. Um, the Colts are an eight-point favorite over the Bengals. The Dolphins are a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over the Jets. I love that line if I'm Miami. I think they're going to win that game by about 25 but of these games, what I think is most interesting is this Bengals-Colts line of being eight-point favorites for Indianapolis. Now, yes, they've had fans in the building, which may be contributing to some of this, but I believe that the Bengals are better. I believe that Joe Burrow has gotten better each game, and I'm surprised the line is this big. What's your thoughts on that line or any other of these big lines that you want to touch on? Yeah, so I mean, we can start with the Bengals and the Colts line. I think the thing that's going to be, you know, from a gambling perspective, that you have to wonder with the Bengals is how their game scripts go. Because if they can stay within game and not be predictable, they have that opportunity to to play tough. Um, you know, we saw them do We saw them do it against Jacksonville. We saw them do that against the Chargers. They're in those games. They're able to, to play action. They're able to just use their offense. Their offensive line is not very good. When they've gotten behind and they are predictable and they have to pass, Joe Burrow has gotten beaten up, absolutely beaten up. Um, and it stinks, right? If you're a rookie quarterback, you want the opportunity to, you know, obviously you got to take your punches, but you want the opportunity to run the offense and be successful. And for the most part, the Bengals have been able to do that. But even in those games, you know, Joe, Joe Burrow's running for his life. And the Colts have a pretty good defense. So I think that's what's contributing to that line, right, is that if the Bengals get down within that game and stay within the structure of their offense, um, the other games, the yeah, stars are bad. And the Dolphins are coming off with a big win. I think that line's a little too high, though, to be honest with you. I don't know if the Dolphins should ever be favored by nine and a half points. It, it, that screams to me, you know, overreaction of what happened last week. You know, the bank, uh, the, the Jets got beat again by by ten plus points. The Dolphins like the hammer down in San Francisco, but from like a gambling perspective, are the Dolphins nine and a half points better than any team they ever play? I, I don't know about that. Um, and what was the other line um, that you mentioned? Uh, the uh, Ravens nine and a half point favorites over the Eagles. Yeah, and and we've seen this with the Ravens lately. You know, the last two years, they beat up on bad teams. The lines are inflated. You know, their run, their offense was clicking a thousand percent. You know, running the ball, controlling the clock, limiting possessions for the other team. Their defense is flying around again, putting the offenses in predictable situations. You know, they're able to. to you know, beat teams by a big margin. So I think Philadelphia, again, you know, kind of going off that, that same situation with the Bengals. They played pretty tough in most of their games. They're not a team that usually gets blown out. Um, you know, they lost by 11 last week, but again, it was like a big, you know, they, they were in that game until the, the, the very end. So I think that line is also a little too high. I think 
It's interesting what's happening in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. We don't know if he's 100% healthy. His rush numbers are down significantly compared to last year. You know, are they going to be able to utilize their offense completely? So I think that, that line is also just a little bit too high. I want to switch to college football for a second um, because we're obviously one week away from the Big Ten rejoining the scene. Um, and obviously the marquee game of the day tonight in primetime on the CBS television network is Alabama and Georgia. And Nick Saban could be back for that game. He has had two consecutive negative tests, which would put him in a position to potentially return for this game. What I'm curious about, Danny, is from a football perspective, if Steve Sarkeesian um, is indeed the coach for the moment, is there a big difference with Saban on the sideline versus not on the sideline? Or does Sarkeesian have enough experience now to where they could run this team and still play the exact same game against Georgia? I think, you know, Saban... It's a factor, right? If you were looking at this from a gambling perspective, this line opened up at six, uh, minus six Alabama. The news came out that Saban uh, got COVID. The line came off and went down to four. So a head coach was responsible for almost a two-point swing in those lines. I think why that happened is when you have a guy like Saban on the sideline, he's able to adjust quickly to what's happening in front of him. And that's, that's what makes him a successful coach. He's able to identify areas that the team's struggling in or needs to get better in and is able to adjust with and get his players to buy in. Tim Sarkeesian is on the sideline. Do we see that same effectiveness, right? With the defense being able to adjust, with the offense being able to adjust, and having that additional sounding board, really, be able to make that adjustment. I think, you know, Sarkeesian having head coaching experience definitely does help. He hasn't been a head coach in a while, but he's been with Alabama now for, I think, at least three or four years. So he understands, you know, what the game plans are and how to adjust and this this offense that he's calling and running. So I think on the offensive side, they'll be okay. I think it it comes back on the other side, you know, those little things that Nick Saban does so well with the team that would be missed. Um, but the line shot back up to six, but I think the anticipation is that Nick Saban will be on that sideline and coaching today's game. We're talking Danny Flecky here on Teeing It Up. I have a gambling 101 question, um, which I think the audience could be interested in, um, which is Clemson-Georgia Tech. It's a 27-point line right now. So often in these college games, especially with teams that are completely mismatched, you get one team that goes out and just obliterates the other in the first half. And I, I think that's the expectation here for Clemson. They're going to go out and, and, and beat a Georgia Tech team that is 2-2, two and two, but I don't think they, they are on any sort of the same level as Clemson. Is that 27-point line factoring in the fact that it could be scrubs in the fourth quarter, or is that the Trevor Lawrence line that you're looking at, and from a gambling perspective, are these the games that you almost want to avoid because of the factor that um, there could be scrubs and this score could be all over the place come, you know, triple zeros uh, in in the fourth quarter? I think you can take that 
sort of approach early in the season um, against teams that necessarily don't match up or non-conference games. I think if I'm a veteran, I'm looking at that line. I'm looking at what Clemson has in front of them. And they have a big state with Notre Dame in a couple of weeks. And I think, you know, what you want to look at is, you know, who Clemson's playing in the future and what they have to do to win the game that they have in front of them. So I think, yes, yes, it does come into play. There might be some subs in the fourth quarter, but you have to anticipate, you know, if Clemson plays three quarters and plays at their highest potential, what will that outcome be? And then does the other team have the firepower to come back and take backdoor cover? And I don't see that in this game, right? Georgia Tech has played tough, and they played some good games against some, some lesser opponents, you know, Florida State, Louisville, et cetera. But I think Clemson at its best for a half is up 27-28, you know, 34-0 in this game. And they probably take their foot off the gas just a little bit they don't want to put too much on film, uh, you know, for their future opponents. But I just don't know if Georgia Tech has enough firepower offensively to come back in a game when they're down like that to even affect the, uh, you know, the line that much. So, yes, you're going to see these lines with teams like Clemson and Alabama in the future. But, again, you know, you just look and you have to understand that these teams are also fighting for, you know, college football playoff positioning and everything else like that. So Clemson at that line is it, not a lot, you know. We've seen what they've done. We know how they can score. We understand what they have on their roster. You know, they can score at will when they want to. So I think a line like that, while it seems like a lot, you have to take into consideration who's playing and, uh, you know, the success of lines that are that big. Let me ask you this, Danny. Does uh, Xander Shoffley's three-shot lead at the um, CJ Cup at Shadow Creek entice you any to turn off? college football and turn on golf today at 5 Eastern on Golf Channel? I mean, I'm definitely not watching any golf. <laughs> okay. It's not. It's, I mean, what, the math is in a couple of weeks, right? Then I, maybe I'll watch some golf then. Okay. I'm just checking. You know me. I got to check, you know, poke and prod every couple of weeks, see if we can convert some people. Um, let's close it out with this. Going back to the National Football League for a second. Um, your a- any gambling or fantasy stuff that you really like. We'll, we'll just talk only positives this week. Anything you really like uh, that you want to point out here? Yeah, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, it's, you know, it is what it is, right? You know, it, it's, it's been a weird season. You have to adjust and apply. From a gambling perspective, you know, last week I felt really good about what I was seeing. This week, I, I like games, but, you know, the other side of it is that it, it, they're all very public, I think, views, and I think I'm going against a lot of what professional gamblers do in this sense. You know, for instance, I I like the Packers this week. I mentioned them earlier. Uh, I just, you know, Rodgers has been playing well. They've had two weeks to prepare for this. I know that Tampa Bay has had their mini-buy as well. Um, I just I like the cohesiveness that Aaron Rodgers and this team is playing with right now. And I'll be honest with you, you know, it's, uh, I'm getting less and less, you know, enamored with backing Tom Brady as he's grown in his career. Last year he was not great. 
you know, as a as a gambler, as a ga- as gambling goes. This year, as well, you know, I took them week one. They bit me. Uh, I faded them against the Chargers. That was a push. Um, last week, I like the Bears in that situation. They won outright. Um, and I'm just going to back Aaron Rodgers until, you know, I, I can't anymore. They're 4-0 against the spread this year. So uh, I'm going to take them in that game. I'm going to take Green Bay. I like the Giants this week, too. I know a lot of people are, are on Washington saying that Washington might be the better play here. I, I just don't see it. I don't know how I could back Kyle Allen in any game, let alone maybe Alex Smith being thrown in that game as well. Um, the Giants looked a little bit better last week. I took them last week. They, they paid out. They almost won that game outright. Um, so I'm going to back the Giants again here, too. They're 3-2 and two against the spread and have played tough. I know they're favorites this week. But I just think defensively they have a very solid team. They have a shutdown corner on Bradbury. Their, their run defense has been pretty good, and Washington offensively has done nothing. So, I, I, again, I'm going to take the obvious pick here, even though it might not be what you're seeing, you know, on other sites. Um, and another one is, is the Rams. I, I'm really into the Rams this week. I know they, they're 4-1 against, they're 4-0 against the NFC East and 0-1 against the, everybody else. But that's not their fault, right? They're playing the schedule that's being put in front of them. And I just can't back the 49ers right now. Um, Jimmy G, I mentioned it last week, right? I like the Dolphins, took them as well. I was not comfortable with the quarterback coming off an ankle injury. I'm still going to take that that same that same mentality here. And as much as people want to think that, like, you know, getting your butt kicked last week is going to motivate you this week, um, you know, what is San Francisco going to do defensively to stop the Rams, who are a very complex offense and have had success against San Francisco? The Rams have had success going up against them, and these are two teams that know each other pretty well, but I, I do like you know, the way the Rams are playing, their defensive line is good. Their defense is a little bit, you know, uh, a step in front this year compared to last year. I think they're going to put Jalen Ramsey on Kittle because I don't think the San Francisco 49ers wide receivers uh, really threaten what's going on uh, on the outside. So I think they'll be comfortable putting Jalen Ramsey on Kittle and forcing the 49ers to sort of play left-handed. Um so I'm going with the Rams as well this week. Danny Flecka, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up and lending your insights. No problem, my man. Have a great weekend. You got it. Same to you, and have a great day, everybody.